Welcome to Sling Stones. This week we're excited to announce that Terry Wardle's new book, From Broken to Beloved, will be released on September 7th. Through this journey of awakening, you will be led step by step, helping you to say yes to the work that Jesus wants to do within you. As you take one step after the other, you will begin to realize that awakening is not simply a beautiful concept, but a healing experience that will enable you to see the wonder that you are so that you can receive everything God intends for you. We hope that you will get a copy and be blessed by this message. And now your host, Terry Wardle. I ran across this quote from William Wilberforce. I think you're aware that he played a seminal role in abolishing slavery in England. And I want you to hear these words. I'm actually going to read them twice. The best portion of a person's life, colon, his or her little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Let me, let me read that again. The best portion of a good person's life, his or her little, marvelous, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for all the unremembered acts of kindness that have brought me to this place. The investments of love of individuals that I may have even long forgotten. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that planting these seeds can make a huge difference in people's lives. Holy Spirit of Jesus, I would ask that you would use this time to shape us, to help us to walk the way of Jesus, the way Jesus our Lord walked the way. You are good, Lord, and all that you do is good. I was reflecting <clears throat> recently that the very first job I ever had when I was 12 years old, and I remember having to go to get workers' papers to do this, is that I went with my cousin Lee up to the Nottingham Country Club to be accepted as a caddy. Now, that's not something I'd ever done, but I had heard that you could go there and you could get out and carry someone's bag and make a few bucks. And so that became, from the time I was 12 years old to the time I was 15, the way I would make money both on the weekends and in the summers. Now, Nottingham Country Club was about eight miles from my home, up in a rural area, very hilly. And I would normally, yes, at 12 years old, hitchhike up to my grandmother's house where Lee lived. It was right on the way to the country club, and then we would hitchhike another four miles and make our way to the country club early in the morning so that we had the possibility of getting a turn. Now, what you did there is you sat on a bench outside of the pro shop and you waited your turn. The person that got there first got to go on the first bags, except if you were requested, and that was for people that really became known as excellent caddies. Later on, that would be something that happened with me, but when I began, that wasn't the case. I would sit there and wait, and sometimes wait all morning, 
and then maybe get a single, which would pay $3 for the round, or carry a double, which was six. And I have to tell you that it it was hard work. You had to be in shape, carrying two heavy bags up and down those hills, knowing how to take care of this. This was, it was a good lesson for me in the entire issue of learning to work hard, learning to work hard. And uh, what we'd often do also is try to get out real early because if you got in by one or two o'clock, there was a good chance you would get another bag for 18 more holes or at least nine more holes, which means you could leave with possibly 10, wow, if you got good tips, even $15 in your pocket, which was a lot of money for me back then. I remember I didn't like to caddy on Thursdays. Please forgive me for this, but that was ladies' day, and things went a lot slower on that day. And let me just say the tips were not quite as generous. Now, there were a whole bunch of friends that I made up there. Obviously, my cousin Lee was there, Chuck Carpetta, who played quarterback on our high school football team, my neighbor Chris Yunkin, a guy named Bobcat McNatt. I like Bobcat McNatt, big guy. And then a really good friend of mine named Mark Jones. And we would all show up there. And sometimes if the day was slow, we would go off into a field and play some tag football or tackle football. But most of the time we sat there waiting for our opportunity. Now, obviously these people had to be rich enough to belong to a country club, but some were rich and some were wealthy. And I noticed something in the way people treated us. For some people, and it seemed to be the most wealthy of all, they kind of treated us like scenery. We would be sitting out there. They wouldn't notice us. They wouldn't say hi. They would walk by. And I remember when ultimately they put out a petition in the country club that they didn't want us sitting outside the pro shop. So they made a little shack for us across the street where we were supposed to sit well out of the way until we were called on. Other people just saw us for our abilities. It was like we were another tool, another uh, part of the golfing experience, like their bag and their clubs. If we were good, we got good tips. If we weren't as good, not so much, but they didn't get to know us. And then there were people that were at the country club that treated us like people. As we'd be carrying their bags, they would ask us questions about our family and Uh, where we went to school and what we liked and did we play any sports. And then when they saw us, they'd call us by our name. And that that really meant a lot. And so so with that, I want to tell you about two particular people. So there were some members of the Pittsburgh Steelers that were uh, part of that uh, country club. And I got to caddy for some of them, which was fine. But I remember two particular coaches. One coach was named Max Coley, and the other coach was named Charlie Sumner. I think Charlie Sumner had coached for the Raiders before he coached for the Steelers, or maybe vice versa. But be that as it may, I got to the place that when they would arrive, they would ask me to caddy for them. And wow, that was uh, really something else. And they they would always talk to me as if I mattered. I mean, here they are, famous coaches running around with these football players that everybody idolized, and yet when we'd be walking down the fairway and I'm carrying their clubs, they were very kind to me. And I even remember a couple times at the end of their round, they would say to me, come on, Terry, go with us. We're going to go out and get a hamburger. And they would 
pile me into their car and off we'd go to big boy and I'd be able to sit there and listen to their stories. It didn't happen a lot, but it happened several times. And I remember I'd come home and my folks would want to hear that story. They made a huge impression on me. I've been thinking a lot of late, probably because of the new book that I wrote called Some Kind, um, I'm sorry, called From Broken to Beloved that's really about being made in the image of God. I've been thinking about how it's so important that we see people and notice them and appreciate them as being made in the image of God. Really, I know it's hard to not at first see whether they're men and women and tall and short or black or white or Hispanic or Chinese. I know it's hard to do that, but what if at first we could see them as sons and daughters of God, icons of God himself, made in his image? What if we could get to the place that we would notice them and we would notice that we are noticing them. Now, what does that mean for people that you don't even know? It might mean nothing more than a hello or a smile or a silent prayer as we go by them, a willingness to extend a hand when it could be helpful and even do something that may be out of character that could be a bit unexpected. It's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? Everybody preoccupied, everybody walking past, everybody driven by their own fears and biases. And a man lays there in the road in need. And yet here comes the least likely person of all, a Samaritan in this parable of Jesus, he notices, he cares, and he does something about it. And that story is now a very important story for those of us that are in the Christian community. Now, what I'm trying to get at is this quote by Wilberforce, this idea that little nameless unremembered acts of kindness and love they become the best investment of a good life. I am sure now that both Max Coley and Charlie Sumner have gone on into eternity, but I am pretty sure they would have no memory whatsoever of the nice things they said to me as we walked down the fairway or taking me off and treating me to a sandwich at what we then called the Big Boy, Eaton Park. They wouldn't have remembered that, not in the midst of the kind of lives they lived. But that small act of kindness, I still remember it. I might have been 14 or 15 years old, and I'm, wow, <clears throat> I'm a whole lot older than that now. And yet I remember. And I think it's important that we don't see people as just scenery to walk by to hardly notice or see them as people that simply help us and are another tool to help our lives go forward, but that we can see people as people. And in doing that, 
somehow make an investment in their life. And maybe it is such a small thing, but these kind of small things done in the name of Jesus make a huge difference. I, I've, I remember I've talked to you before about uh, Teresa Lizzo, um, a nun who wanted to make a great difference. And basically Jesus just said, do small acts of kindness with great love. And she called that the little way. And that today we can embrace that. There, there are concrete things we can do today that maybe you or another person may never remember or bring to mind. And yet somehow it contributes to the whole of saying to individuals that their lives matter. That no matter what condition they're in, there is dignity there. Recently, I spoke about an individual who passed on young. I was thinking about their life a lot recently, and this is what grabbed me. I mean, the funeral that I attended was packed, both tears and gratitude. And there were a lot of people that spoke about the difference this individual made. And all of a sudden, I began to think about something. They, they, they never preached. They didn't teach in Sunday school. I don't even know if they ever led a group. But this precious life made a huge difference by small acts of kindness, by noticing, by caring, by being compassionate, by treating all people with the dignity and respect of being made in the image of God. Well, it's amazing to me that such small things can make such a great difference. I want to encourage you to remember what Wilberforce has said here. The importance of little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love and how they contribute to a good life. <laughs>